Second half of the People's Show. We'll get to more of your thoughts on the other side here after we talk to Randy Mueller joining us here in just a moment. Uh, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Uh, get your text in, 650-650. Week 18 uh, on the horizon, which is uh, can be a bit of a mess, but uh, a lot at stake for a lot of different teams here, including uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So let's get into it uh, with Randy Mueller, former NFL executive. You hear him on the GM pod uh, on the Athletic Football Show and also uh, at Randy Mueller underscore on social media, Mueller Football as well. Randy, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this. Uh, as we get ready for uh, an interesting final week, uh, and I wanted to focus on the Seattle Seahawks with you uh, because, you know, a handful of weeks ago, two months ago, it looked like it was smooth sailing, you know, six and three and going into the Rams game, and then it went loss, 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 and you thought, all right, is this over? And they get that win against the Eagles, and you think it's rebounded, and then the wins get taken out of the sails against the Steelers. Now they're looking at eight and eight going to the final week. Uh, in your mind, how did we get here? Well, that's a great question. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, it's been one of those seasons in Seattle. That's for sure. There's been streaks, uh, both good and bad. Um, I've always said in, in running NFL teams for years, you kind of think you've seen it all. I always used to say, even when we were riding high, we're three weeks away from a good mutiny. Right. at any time so things can fall apart quick um here's what people forget the other teams that you play are really good sometimes the fans <laughs> focus on a team's record but the margin for error that teams have at the nfl level is very slim and i think that got the seahawks a couple times uh, i happen to think this week's game in arizona is kind of a referendum game the seahawks have not done well in their own division and when building teams i always said we got to get out of our own division before we can worry about beating some of these good teams or unfortunately for Seattle, they've been swept by the Rams. They've been swept by the 49ers and their one division win was against the Cardinals, but it was uh, a Josh uh, uh, Dobbs uh, quarterback mm-hmm. team when they beat them. So this is a big game for Seattle. Arizona kind of has things sorted out. Obviously they beat Philly last week and kind of feel better about themselves. And so I think it's kind of a referendum game. If Seattle were to lose this game, would they be thought of as the third team in the division or the fourth team? So there's a lot at stake here. I agree with you. And even in a victory, like a, a victory, and if, if it goes right and they go to the playoffs, okay, like you can breathe a little bit. But it, it feels like it would be an underwhelming uh, ticket punch to, to get to the playoffs, given the way the, the last half of the season has gone. Sometimes parity is good, but sometimes parity reads mediocrity. And, and you're right, 9-8. and eight, it's better than, I guess, uh, you know, 7 and 10. But at the same time, it's you, you, the progress you have to make to get to the next tier seems far away for even these 500 teams. So I think in Seattle's case, they've kind of got to set their record aside. Even if they do win the game, like you said, and make the playoffs, they've got to find a way to move to the next echelon. They clearly don't have the talent that I don't know that the Rams even have, but definitely not the 49ers and some of these better teams. So do we want to just exist and, and kind of waller around at 500, or can we take some swings at the plate to, to maybe acquire a player or two that kind of make differences? And I think that's the biggest thing they're missing now. And probably the excitement I don't hear in your voice comes from there's really not a lot of to get excited about, you know, and, and that's always hard for, I think, even those inside NFL buildings. They want to have hope, and I think sometimes hope is hard to come by, 
And it's not always easy when you're eight and eight to, to find hope. That's for sure. Well, the the thing that I the reason I have a lot of trepidation, I, I like to use a phrase that uh, you know your your strength is what gets you to the playoffs, and your weakness is what yep. defines your playoffs. And I look at this team right now, and these last you know five weeks, they've been getting bullied in the trenches, both offensively yep. and defensively. Yep. And so you can have excitement, like I, I think you know the, the 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 progress Jackson Smith and Jigba has made here recently. Geno Smith, I've defended all season long, and there's there's exciting pieces on this team, but. But if you're not good in the trenches, I, I don't know how much success you're going to have in January. I agree with you. I think that comes to fruition at some point during each season. And it is probably the the thing that hurts most inside buildings when that happens to you as well. And I'm talking about NFL decision makers struggle with getting bullied. They struggle with physicality. If they don't have it, it kind of demoralizes everybody. And, and believe me, they see that. John Schneider sees that. Pete Carroll as optimistic as he is, probably sees that in his sleep. They've got to find a way to push people around and create different uh, things that push the other teams back instead of being accepted of, of, of the bullying tactics. So I agree with you. That's hard. I think even the, the players that they've drafted early on, like the rookie tackles from last year, neither of which are impose my will on the defensive linemen tight players, if that makes any sense. They're more finesse. They're more uh, accepting of these blows, uh, per se, at the line of scrimmage. And I think you're right. They've got to find a way to hold up to the beating and the rigors of a 17-game schedule in a physical way. And as, as much as the game has changed and it's become about seven-on-seven play and touch football, I think the trenches still control the success. And, and you're right on that. And I'm not so sure they can do that. They haven't been able to stop the run recently and they haven't run it a ton themselves. So that's a bad combination. From an executive's eyes, how, how tough is this part of the season trying to project like what to do, your, your off-season planning, and, and what to build towards uh, for next season? Well, I think most know. I know for years as a GM, I knew by now what I needed to do. I remember returning home either week 17 or 16 back when I was there, or after a playoff, game when your season ended I would have a list by the time I landed back home of what I needed to do and really that's not the the a list but it's a list of discussion points that we have to have internally so they know that by now they know where their weaknesses are they may not have discussed them yet because you know there's a little bit of uh, hope still that their season continues but Pete and John have a list they've got to sort some things out and they know what they need to discuss in the offseason they're They've had one eye on the future. I know John Schneider well enough to know he's had one eye on on the draft. He's had one eye on free agency because you've got to have those options in mind when you make decisions on your own team. So that that wheel is churning all the time. Uh, Talking to Randy Mueller, former NFL executive, uh, part of the GM pod on the Athletic Football Show. Uh, For the Seahawks to make it, uh, the Packers will have to lose. I'm curious, uh, from your vantage point, is there a team more impressive uh, this year as far as like a, a roster construction and, and having the patience to let things play out than the Packers this year? Because, you know, they, they made a big decision to, to, to move off of Aaron Rodgers. And, okay, 8-8 eight eight isn't overwhelming, but I imagine this is a box check season type for them. Well, I think no doubt. And the fact that they've done it by taking on the dead money cap-wise that, that Rodgers left, right. they had to eat a whole bunch of guaranteed money. So you can't build a full roster when you have $50 million that you're sitting on on a player that's not there. So that's why they are so young. That's why they had to go with the youth movement. And to be honest with you, it probably helps them 
down the road more than any team because they have gotten answers now on young receivers, on young tight ends, on a couple young offensive linemen. This is a, a team that's built not for now but for down the road. And, and then really getting Jordan Love his experience like they have, it hasn't been easy. It's been up and down. But you can clearly see now that this kid's an NFL quarterback and he's probably going to be an upper echelon one before long if, if some don't even include him in the top ten already. Uh, what do you make of uh, the AFC South heading into this weekend? Jacksonville, Indy, Houston. It's probably the most exciting uh, division going into Week 18 because there's so much at stake. Uh, who do you project uh, uh, coming out of this weekend? Well, I think if Houston has a healthy C.J. Stroud, they're probably the most equipped. I'm disappointed in Jacksonville. I know Trevor Lawrence has been banged up the last few weeks, but I thought when the season started, Jacksonville's defense would be consistently good and really hard to block, and I haven't seen that. They've they've let me down as far as standing prosperity as well. They'd win a game, then they'd lose a game. They couldn't deal with it. So I think you're right. It's a competitive uh, division, but I don't know that the quality is really there and like I see in some of the other divisions. But I think the player of that division for this year is C.J. Stroud, and, and I think what Houston has done – and, and nobody had expectation for them to do this, mainly because a rookie quarterback just doesn't do this. I think they go to Indy and find a way to win a game and get in the playoffs, which I think is a great step for a place that's really uh, struggled to find positivity at all the last three or four years. Uh, before we let you go, I, I'm curious to, to, to get a, a sports executive's uh, uh, thoughts on this. Just, just as a general principle, what's, uh, what's scarier or, or tougher uh, is it uh, buying low or selling high when you're when when you're in the transaction market as a GM or any type of exec? I think definitely selling high is harder because those guys have done it. Buying low, there's no risk. You're not putting yourself at stake. You're you're kind of uh, willing to take a swing on something that's not a lot of financial risk. But selling high is hard because you've got to have replacements in place and. Sometimes that requires a little bit of a high wire act before you get that replacement. So you always have to forecast, always have to give yourself options. But I think definitely getting rid of those players that have helped you in the past that may have been overextended financially now, that's a hard call for GMs to make, maybe the hardest call for people to make. Is it tougher internally? Because I imagine there's players looking at this saying, like, hey, this guy's balling out. How, why, why are we moving a guy out? Or is it an ownership thing? Is it a fans thing? Like, What part of that is the, is the toughest to manage? Well, I don't think it's necessarily the players per se, but production rules, right? You mm-hmm. cannot pay a player nowadays the way the cap is set up for prior production. He's got to be doing it now. And players really, if, if they're held with accountability and honesty, they know who the players are. So it's a hard position to put them in. Um, they, fortunately, they don't make the team. They don't get to judge because they'd have all their friends and family there <laughs> at the end of the day in roster construction. But I think everybody's expectations have to be handled along the way. For example, if you know something like this is coming down the pipe, you as the communicator or as the face of your team, you've got to let ownership know what you're thinking. You've got to let some way the media kind of know so they're not blindsided either. A lot of times people just want to know. And, and sometimes if they don't have the information, they may say or, or, or something may uh, make them look bad at the end of the day, then they're going to come back to you on it. So communicating is an art. There's no doubt whether you're the GM, the head coach, or whoever, you have to work at that all the time. And I found that always an interesting part of the, of the business and of leadership that 
doesn't get a lot of run, so that's a good question. Uh, he does great work with Mike Sando and the GM pod on the Athletic uh, Football Show uh, page. Uh, he is Randy Mueller, a former NFL exec. We really appreciate this, and uh, uh, pl- well, it, it, certainly enjoy the playoffs in Week 18. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. It's Randy Mueller joining us here, uh, former NFL exec here on the People's Show. Uh, good stuff there. Uh, buying high or selling low, buying high. Tough realities for uh, GMs. They got to make those decisions, though. Uh, all right, we want, we were, we're working on this in the pre-show because Team USA wins the World Junior Hockey Championships. Uh, congratulations to them. And there's all this like world power now in hockey coming up, and you know we we got Canadian pride, and so you try to like build out the roster, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, Canada Olympics, they'll, they'll be fine. They got McDavid, they got McKinnon, they got McCarr, they'll be okay. And we were trying to put together a Team USA. Okay, let's imagine a year from now, what does it look like? And you start putting together some names. It uh, looks daunting, folks. I got to be honest. It looks terrifying. And it's 14 forwards, 8 D-men, 3 goalies. And we already know the goalies, it feels like. Hellebuck, Demko, Ottinger, away they go. And and so much conversation has been made about that. But Elon kept pitching me names. Like, hey, what about this guy? What about this guy? And I sat there, like, scratching my head thinking, oh, man, are we going to leave, you know, a a Jake Gensel off the Team USA roster? Are you going to leave a Chris Kreider off the Team USA roster? And I struggled to get to 14 names. Whereas when I was doing the America or the Canadian one, I struggled to get to the 14th name. I felt like there was 20 guys for Team USA, and I felt like there was like 15, 16 that I felt were really true, like, hey, this guy absolutely needs to be on this roster. If, if you really did the exercise and you were harsh, like, you could make a case JT Miller shouldn't be on the Team USA roster. You could make that case. I, for me, like, he should be there. But it's it's within the realm of possibility that he's not. And just really quickly here, like I'll, I'll list off some guys. And by the way, we're going to do guys naming dudes here. You can text in 650-650. Team USA wins over the World Junior Hockey Championship. So let's do American-born NHL players. Right? Text in 650-650. But really quickly, up front, Kachuk Brothers, Matthews, these are my lines. You can create them however you want. Kachuk Brothers, Matthews, Robertson, Eichel, DeBrincat, Kyle Connor, Jack Hughes, Clayton Keller, JT Miller, Dylan Larkin. Now, I like this was my luxury pick, but I took Trevor Moore. And then Gensel and Kreider were my extra guys. But no Caulfield, no Tuck, no Boldy. No Tage Thompson. Uh, no Tage Thompson. I'm a Casey Middlestack guy. He's he's not there. And then Hughes, McAvoy, Slavin Fox, Orensky, Faber, Hughes, Truba were my eight. And you just look at it and you're like, wow, like Dylan Larkin on the fourth line. Kyle Connor, one of the best goal scorers in the lead, third line. And you kind of do Team Canada. And again, these were how I did my lines, so you can disagree. But like Marshan, McDavid, Barzell, McKinnon, Crosby, Marner, Reinhardt, Point, Stone, Suzuki, Shifley, Bedard. And you throw in a Robert Thomas there. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with another one. I know like Ryan Nugent Hopkins' name gets mentioned, Bo Horvat's name gets mentioned. And, again, good players, uh, just uninspiring to me. The, the, the top end looks really nice, but, boy, oh, boy, does the uh, the depth of the Americans look really strong And for right Canada, now. trying to figure out, you know, for example, that left D, you kind of struggle a bit when you get down the mm-hmm. list. Oh, 100%, right? Like, the, the immediate one was Shea Theodore. I think, like, that's automatic. I 
big fan of Josh Morrissey. I think Devontae's is probably going. But, you know, the, the right side looks like McCarr, Dobson, Petrangelo. Looks phenomenal. Left side, uh, you know, n- not as daunting for me. Interesting. Uh, we really need best on best to see what this looks like. Uh, all right, let's get to the inbox, uh, 650, 650. Uh, someone's texting in, should be Team USA Hockey guys. Yeah, if you do that, it just, you know, the, the, the fun the fun bit of guys naming dudes is, like, the random ones. You start doing just the guys who have played for the Olympics and, you know, you, you get to your, your regular Tony Amantes and everything like that. Uh, we, we like to go off the board. Like, like throwing a a Joe Corvo or something like that. Throw in a Steve Connell Walchuk or something like that. That's that's what we're looking for here, guys naming dudes. Do, we got music out oh yeah, there. It is. Well, we haven't done a guy's name of dudes in like a month. Throw out a Joe Finley. Wow. Pulling out names here. American born hockey player is what we're going for. Tim Gleason. Uh, this one. Uh, Jordan Schrader. Yeah, went for uh, World Juniors. But yeah. David Booth. David Booth. Good shout. Brian Rafalski. He's uh, on uh, Team Bald, wasn't he? I, I feel like he was. Or it was... It was uh, That's something you should know. Yeah, I feel like it was like, you know, like by the end of the career, he was... I was, I was a big Brian Rafalski guy, because I was like, you know what? I'm probably going to look like that in a few years. <laughs> uh, 650, 650. Uh, Jason Blake. Good shout. 40-goal score, Jason Blake. Justin Abdulkader. Oh, I had that one, too. That's a good Legend. poll. All-name yeah. team. Yeah, that that that's a good one. That's a good one right there. He's still playing. Uh, in not the in the Swiss NHL. League. Oh, in the Swiss League. In the Swiss League. <laughs> what roster is he on? Is he on the Erie Monsters or something like that? Uh, Dan Highnote hitting the high notes for Dan. Uh, Chris Higgins, good one. Nick Dowd coming into the inbox. Jeff Zatkoff. All right. D-Man? Zatkoff? Yeah. Isn't he a goalie? Was he? Yeah, you're right. Penguins, right? Yeah. Uh, Mike Komisarek. Let's do a little uh, Canucks uh, front office right there. Ty Conklin. Ty Conklin. Ty Conklin. Ooh, Tim Connolly. Was Tim Connolly American? I feel like he was. One of my favorite centers. Tim Connolly. Uh, yeah, Mike Commissaire coming to the inbox. Chris Higgins coming to the inbox. Corey Schneider uh, in the inbox. Legend. Emerson Edom. Nice. All right. Hey, some uh, Canucks alums in here. Uh, oh, the Whitney. Uh, Ryan Whitney. Not Ray Whitney. Ray Whitney was Canadian, I feel like. Yeah. Um... The amount of names I thought of, and then they just happen to be Canadian. It's, it's hard sometimes, right? This is more difficult than I thought. Um, the Kachaks, obviously. But that's that, that's too high end. Um, oh, who's the uh, Canucks winger? Probably 2017, I think. Jack Skilly. Jack Skilly. He's American. Again, we're going off the board here. Adam Ernie. Oh, he's, he's still in the league, though. Uh, Tyler Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Smolinski, Ryan Kessler, Bates Bataglia, Neil Broughton. Oh, the inbox is flooding in now. I feel like all the people that are on listing on the stream are just catching up now. Neil Broughton. The people are doing well today. Yeah, the, the, the people. 
takes a minute to get going on uh, guys naming dudes, but once it starts flowing, it starts flowing. Craig Ludwig. Oh, the inbox is putting in work now, right when we have to leave. This is why, I, I, you know, I screwed up today. <laughs> I shouldn't have started this one so late. Got to start earlier with guys naming dudes. Uh, Marty Nanaimo. I think Marty Nanaimo's winning today with uh, Bates Paglia coming in late. Peter Mueller. Oh, we just had a Mueller <laughs> on, and I screwed it up. Man. Good, good last last text in. All right. A lot of competing happening in, in the inbox today. Good work. Back at it uh, tomorrow. I'm on the pregame show tomorrow, uh, 3 o'clock, with Sat, uh, Dan Riccio, doing uh, color commentary with uh, Brendan Batchelor. Reach and Sat are on their way. Uh, I, I heard them in the uh, the pre-show there during the break. I went to go say hi to them. They're fighting about uh, 4D chess, some controversy on the show the other day of uh, terminology Sat was using. So they're already angry at each other. So I don't know what's going to happen for the next two hours on Canucks Central. Uh, it's on the way, though, here on Sportsnet 650.